Turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai. If you're using old school, it's uh, three books from the end of the Old Testament. So we are going through Haggai's prophecy. It's a short book, it's only two chapters long. And we're going to look at the second to the last section of it today. Remember, we're, we're, we're looking at when God, back in the 520s B.C., asked his people, who had all been exiled, they used to live in Israel and Jerusalem, they'd all been exiled by the Babylonians, he asked them to come back and to rebuild the temple, to restart worship. And we've been talking about all the difficulties they faced in doing that, because, wow, they faced a lot. And if you remember, they started doing it, and then they stopped. And they stopped for about 17 years until Haggai shows up and begins to encourage them again to get started, to to, to begin building, that, that God will be with them. If they will start to obey, the Lord will meet them in that. But he can't meet them if they're not obeying. He can't bless them if they're not obeying. You can't reward people for doing what is wrong. So we're going to read chapter 2 of Haggai, verses 10 through 19. The book is a series of prophecies that Haggai made. We're going to read the next one. So follow along with me. Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now, give careful thought from this, give careful thought to this. From this day on, consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. So this is three months later. If you look back at chapter one, verse 14 and 15, it says that they began to work on the house of the Lord their God on the 24th day of the sixth month. And we're now on the 24th day of the ninth month. They've been working for three months to rebuild the temple. And Haggai comes and he asks the priests a question, a spiritual question about spiritual law and spiritual things. He says, if you have something holy and it touches something mundane, when the holy comes in contact with the mundane, what happens? Does the mundane become holy? Does the holiness rub off on the mundane? And the answer is no. No, it doesn't. It it just, the mundane stays the mundane. He says, okay, what about the the, the converse of that? What if something unholy touches the mundane, comes in contact with the mundane? What happens? Does it stay the way it is? No, no, actually, it becomes defiled. 
If something holy comes in contact, it doesn't become holy. But if something unholy, if something defiled comes in contact with it, then it becomes defiled. And isn't this true in the the physical world as well? He's talking about spiritual realities, but if you take a sick person and a healthy person and you put them together, what happens? Does the healthy person's health heal the sick person? No, the sick person's sickness makes the healthy person sick. The healthy doesn't overwhelm the sickness. The sickness overwhelms the healthy. How about in the emotional realm? Okay, I want you to imagine that you're one of the musicians up here this morning, and Tim comes up to you afterwards, and he's like, oh, those first two songs, you guys were incredible. That's unbelievable. That's the best I've ever heard in DCC. But wow, what happened in that third song? Did you forget how to play your instruments? Did you not practice that at all? Now, what do you go away saying? Do you go away saying, oh, Tim said we're awesome. We remember the bad, don't we? We remember the criticisms so much more than we do the compliments. In life, and this is in all of life, the spiritual life, the emotional life, the physical life, our mental life, it is so much easier to destroy than to create. It can take you all day to build a sandcastle on the beach. You can knock it down in seconds. It is so much easier to destroy than to create. And so in verse 14, Haggai makes this application to him. That's what this people in this nation are like, declares the Lord. Whatever they do, whatever they offer there, and we're talking about the temple, so I assume he means there on the altar of the temple, is defiled. We've been talking through Haggai about obedience. And so far, we've seen two different stories. The first story was about disobedience. They didn't obey. And God says, look, I can't bless you. I have to discipline you. You're not going to get good things from me when you disobey. The second story, the second prophecy was about obedience. They obeyed. They went. They did it. God said, yes, I can bless you now. You're you're obeying me. And now we're talking about what happens in, in, in between. What happens in partial obedience? We haven't disobeyed, but we haven't fully obeyed. You know, in the first case, God told them to build the temple, and 17 years later, they haven't done it. I think we can say that's disobedience. If you ask somebody to do something, and 17 years later, it hasn't been done, we can probably say definitively, no, you, this is not going to happen. That's disobedience. And in the second case, wow, they're doing it. They're building it. They're right there. Now, what about when you're in the middle of it? You haven't fully obeyed, but you are partially obeying. These guys have been obeying for three months. They have been building for three months. Something has happened that God has sent the prophet back to them. Do you remember the last prophecy we looked at? They've started building, and people who remember the old temple, they were kids. They they, they were, you know, somewhere below, like, like 15 or 20 years old. They remember the old temple, and they look at what they're building, and they go, oh my gosh, this is nothing. I mean, we're building a garage, not a temple. And God sends the prophet to him. Something's happened that God sent the prophet to him again to talk about partial obedience. Now, it doesn't say, we don't know. My guess is, this is when the governor shows up. Do you remember in Ezra, it says that they began building and then the governor of the province, or they're in a tiny little nowhere city in a nowhere province, in a province, excuse me, in a nowhere region of a province in Persia. And the Persian governor showed up at their building site and said, what are you doing? 
Who authorized this? I don't know anything about this. What's your name? Who gave you permission? What's going on? I suspect that this has been three months. That's enough time for people to notice, alert the governor for him to come down. I suspect the governor has showed up and started questioning him and they're thinking about quitting again. That's what happened 17 years ago. The authorities got involved and they stopped. They stopped doing what God had told them to do. They've been obeying God for these three months, but wow, I mean, things have suddenly gotten, the the stakes have gotten a lot higher. Before it was, okay, every other day I gotta go help build this temple, right? Or I don't know how they're divvying out the work. We we assign ourselves, everybody's got a day, right? I work Monday, Christian works Tuesday, Mark works Wednesday. However they figured it out, that's what this cost me. Oh, wow, now the Persians are involved. Do you remember what the king of Persia says when he writes back to the governor and he's like, hey, let them build it. And by the way, if anyone bothers them, execute them. Impale them on a pole, right? The the Persians do not have what we would consider an enlightened view of capital punishment. They they pretty much are just like, no, that's wrong, you're gonna die, right? The governor has, I think the governor has showed up and said, what are you doing? Who authorized this? Who gave you permission to do? I don't know anything about this. What's going on? And I think everybody's kind of like, oh, whoa, oh, this could be prob. We, we need to stop. We need to stop. And God has sent the prophet to answer the question, <clears throat> is that okay? Is it okay? If God tells you to do something, is it okay to start it, to get part of the way into it, and then be like, oh, wait a minute, I, I, I'm, I'm out. Is that okay in the real world? If you had an employee and you said to somebody, hey, go down to the archives and find the file on the job we did for the the Johnson company and bring it back to the conference room, right? And so they go off, they scoot off, they they go to the archives, they hunt, they search, they find the file. It's 11.30, they go to lunch. And then they go to the gym. And you call them up at like two, you're like, I said, where's the file? They're like, oh, I have it. Oh, yeah, I'll bring it back eventually. You didn't say when to bring it, right? You just said bring it to the conference room. Would you be okay with that? If your employee came back and said, wait a minute, it took me five minutes to get to the archive. It took me 20 minutes to find this file. I didn't walk five minutes back to the conference room. That's a 20 out of 25. Boss, that's an 80. I made a B on this assignment. I'm doing great. You can't be upset about it. Would you be okay? Is 80% obedience okay? And the answer is no. No, we know that. Obedience is not something where you can decide, okay, yeah, I'll do this much, but I won't do that. We, We understand that. There are lots of places in your life where you can choose how much you want to do. Wait, I, I'm, in, I'm in graduate school, I'm in seminary, I'm studying to get my master's, so all my assignments have rubrics. If you want to see, you know, you have to, turn, you have to answer this question, right? Should pastors stand in the back and greet people at the end of the service, or should they stand up front and let people come to them, right? That's a, I'm in a pastoral procedure class. That's one of the things they talk about, right? How should pastors interact with congregations after the service? And so the question to you is, which should they do? Should the pastor stand in the back and greet people or stand in the front and let people come to them, right? And if you want to see, you have to answer that question and tell why. 
I think pastors should stand in the back so they can greet visitors. I think pastors should stand in the front so only those people who need to talk to them come to them and they're not distracted by other things, right? You'll get a C. If you want a B, you have to answer the question, you have to tell why, and you have to do some research. You have to pull in some other sources. This is what so-and-so says, this is what so-and-so says. If you want an A, you have to answer the question, you have to tell why, you have to do research, and you have to compare and contrast. Well, here's what it will cost you if you choose this option. Here's what it will cost you. Right? you. If you want the higher grade, you have to do more work. But you choose. So some weeks I've got tons of time and I can shoot for the A. Wow, some weeks things are busy with the church, with my family, everything else. I just got to turn it in. Right? I choose. It's my choice. There's lots of things in life that are your choice. Which car you're going to buy, whether you're going to pay for the sunroof, all those sorts of things. But obedience isn't like that. Obedience is not something where we choose how far we're going to obey. Sure, I'll go to the archive. Sure, I'll spend all that time finding the file. Ah, but I'm not going to bring it back. That's way, way too much work. If you do 80% of obedience, then in every realm, whether it's our normal physical material realm or the spiritual realm, which is what Haggai's talking about when he asks the priest these questions. Either way, that's not obedience. And notice what God says to them in 15. Give careful thought. He'll say that three times, just in this short little paragraph. In verse 15, give careful thought. In verse 18, give careful thought. At the end of verse 18, give careful thought. Like, like folks, you need to think about this. This is important. You, you need to pay attention. What happens, God says, before you started building the temple, right? That, that's months, three months ago. Before you started building, what was life like? Think, remember, go back, God says. It wasn't good. You expected to get, you know, a, a harvest of 20, but instead you only got 10. You thought there was 50 gallons in the vat. It turned out there was only 20. Things didn't go well for you. And God says, and remember he said this originally, that's me. That's me trying to get your attention. That's me disciplining you. That's me trying to train you. This is not okay. I did this, God said, but you didn't return to me. Then he says, now, verse 18, I want you to think from this day on, today, the 24th day of the ninth month, cast your mind all the way back 17 years ago to when you started building the temple. You start it, you laid the foundations, and then you quit. What happened? Did I bless you? Did I bless you for having begun 17 years ago and then doing nothing? No. No, the vine, the pomegranate, the fig, the olive tree. No, nothing. Nothing was blessed by beginning and then stopping and doing no more. God says, now, today, today, I can bless you because they're obeying. They're building. They're putting one stone on top of another. They're cutting the wood. They're felling the trees. They're building. Remember, the governor's like, wow, these guys, you know, they're trying to build a three-story building. They've stacked up stone upon stone. They're trying to build. They're putting wood up on the top. Like, these guys are working hard. God comes to them, I think, at that moment. He's like, Today, right now, I'm blessing you. You're obeying. But don't quit. Don't 
Stop. Don't try and just live on your laurels. Don't try and think that, oh, okay, well, I did this, so now everything will go great. Don't stop obeying, God tells them. And we know from reading Ezra they don't. They keep right ongoing. It will take four years to build the temple. We're only three months in. Wow, they have a lot of building left to do. But God's coming to them and telling them, look, today, was, was I blessing you before when you weren't obeying? No. I'm blessing you right now you because you're obeying. Keep it up so I can keep blessing you. Keep obeying so I can keep blessing you. All right, so I have two questions for you this morning out of this passage. The first one comes from, from Haggai's little parable about the holy and the unholy. You know, is there anywhere in your life where you're letting the bad corrupt the good? You know, I think about like, like we encourage you, be disciples who make disciples, right? We encourage you to, be, to have non-Christian friends and be involved in non-Christians and, and be light in the world. We're supposed to be the salt that preserves the world. We want you to be out there, but we want you to be rubbing off on the world. Is there anywhere the world is rubbing off on you? Is there anywhere you're involved with people, you know, and then they go off to do stuff and you know you shouldn't do that. Ah, you don't wanna be a jerk. You don't wanna seem like a bozo. You wanna seem like a stick in the mud. So you go along with them because they're your friends, you know, and you want a chance to witness to them. And what better place to witness than at a strip bar? I mean, you're going to have tons of opportunities to talk about the gospel, right? Of course. Is there any place where you're letting the bad, the unholy, the defile corrupt you? You're not rubbing off on them. They're rubbing off on you. Because Paul will say this to the Corinthians. I mean, this is not the only place you find this in Scripture. He'll tell the Corinthians, look, don't fool yourself. Bad company corrupts good morals. Anywhere that, that you are letting the bad corrupt the good. You know, what about your spiritual disciplines? I mean, you will hear me tell you all the time, read your Bible, right? Read your Bible and pray. So when I was in college and I got serious about the faith, in, in the summers, I was a driver, a delivery driver. So you have a lot of time in the car alone. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to use this time to pray. This is going to be great. I'm going to be alone in the car. You know, it might take 10 minutes to deliver. It might take 30 minutes. I'm going to be alone in the car. I'm going to take delivery and I'm going to pray. And so I did that for like a day or two. And then I got in a big traffic jam. And I thought, oh, wow, I need to listen to the traffic so that I, you know, I know to go around these things and I don't, I don't end up being really late for a delivery. And you know, there's some radio station that says traffic every 30 minutes or it's like, okay, top, you know, top of the hour, 30 minutes. So I turn on the station and I, I listen to the traffic and I know what's going on. And I, I turn it off and pray, but then I, sometimes, you know, I would forget to turn it back on again. And so I'm like, you know what? I'll just leave the radio on low. So I always notice when the traffic. So guess how long I prayed in the car before it turned into listening to the radio? Not very long. It was a good plan. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm going I'm to pray in this time. But then these other, when, when the good, the holy, the prayer came in contact, again, this isn't even bad, right? This isn't doing something bad. It's just mundane. It's just the radio. When the holy came in contact with the mundane, it's the mundane that won. It's the radio that won out. 
and they end up driving around listening to the radio, not praying. Is there anywhere in your world where something, you've got good intentions. You know, like the beginning of every year, you know, gym memberships, right? They just go through the roof because everybody's going to get fit and everybody's going to eat well and they're all going to exercise and everybody buys a gym membership. And that goes really well for what, a month, two months? I think they say basically by March, right? I mean, gyms count on that. They way oversell their capacity because they know in a month or two, nobody's going to be here. Life gets in the way. You have great intentions, but life gets in the way. The mundane and the holy come together. The mundane and the, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this, come together. And what happens? Yeah, it's the mundane that wins. It's the normal, everyday processes of life that squeeze out and push out the good. So anywhere that's happening to you in your spiritual life, because Haggai says it is just as true in the spiritual world realm as it is in all the other realms of life. Is there anywhere that, that oh, you've got good intentions? Yep, I'm going to read the Bible. Yep, I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to this small group. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then the, just the normal, ordinary, mundane parts of life, they squeeze you out. Is there anywhere that we see Haggai's parable playing out in your life? That's my first question. Here's my second question. Is there anywhere that you're trying to do the minimum with God? Is there anywhere that you're like, yep, I started, I did this much, but this is hard. And this, maybe even this is dangerous. The Persians, again, they're, they're not known for their kindness. Um, maybe I should just quit. Is there anywhere that you've started with God. You know the Lord's told you something, but you're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm not, I don't want to do that. That's hard. Is there any way that you're treating God like a, a transaction? You know, you've heard me say before, right? God's not a vending machine. If you want a Snickers bar, yes, you can put your credit card in and you can push D7 and out comes a Snickers bar. But God's a person. Who wants to be treated that way? Have you ever, I'm, and I know the answer to this is yes, do not raise your hand. You ever had a relationship with someone that they just wanted things from you? That's the only reason they ever did anything for you. You know, if your love language is gift giving, then when they showed up with a gift, you knew what that meant. That meant they wanted something. It's the only time they engaged with you. It's the only time they spent time with you. Every time they came to you, it was because they wanted something from you. Who wants that kind of relationship? Who wants a friend that is just in it for what they can get? Right? God doesn't want that either. God is a person just like we are. Well, very different from us, but he is a person. He doesn't want people who come to him for transactions. He doesn't want people who obey to get something. Oh, gosh, you know, I, I, need, I need such and such and so and so, so uh, I'll help out at VBS. And then God will have to give this to me. There's, this, there's a couple chapters in Isaiah where the people come to God and they're angry. They are angry with him. They want something from him. And they say, we fasted and we prayed and you didn't do what we asked. What's up with that, God? We did our part. We fasted and we prayed. You didn't do what you're supposed to do. And God says to them, yes, you fasted and you prayed, and you cheated on your spouse, and you ripped off your employees, 
and you oppressed the foreigners in your country, and you went to my temple and sang songs about how great I was, and then you went to the temple of Baal, and you worshiped there, and then you went home to your private Asherah pole, and you worshiped there. Yes, you fasted, and you prayed, and you think I didn't see all that other stuff? You think I don't know why you fasted and prayed? You didn't fast and pray because you want more of me. You want to be my people. You want to be more obedient. You just want stuff from me. God doesn't say I'm not a vending machine, but Jeff's translation will add that. I'm not a vending machine. Is there anywhere in your life that you're treating God like a vending machine? That your obedience, because obedience is God's love language. You know, some people's love language is quality time. Some people's love language is service. God's love language is obedience. That's what Jesus says. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? God's love language is obedience. Is there anywhere you're trying to speak God's love language so you'll get stuff from him? It's just a transaction. And as soon as it's over, wow, you're out. Why would I obey anymore? I got what I wanted. A couple guys I meet with on Friday, we were talking about this in the realm of prayer. And this one guy was saying, you know, he, he's, he's a lawyer. He got his law degree. He got a job, but his job is contingent on passing the bar. said, I've never prayed that much in my life. <laughs> From when the bar ended, you know, then it's like a month or two or three or something or other. So he's working all that time, but if he doesn't pass, he's out. And he said, wow, the day the bar exam, and then there, you know, there's all these little associates, right? He said, the day the bar exam results came out, we're all in our offices with our doors closed because <laughs> nobody wants to talk to me. We're all just waiting on the computer for the results to come out. He said, I have never prayed that hard in my life as for God to let me pass the bar exam. And he said, you know, you could see my prayer life. And then I passed. I didn't need God anymore. I needed God. Nothing I could do, right? Once I took the bar exam, there's nothing I can do to make myself pass. That is all in God's hand. I needed him, so I prayed, begged him, right? Made deals with God. And then as soon as, boom, I don't need God anymore. Is there anywhere in your life that you're treating God like a transaction? That you're treating God like, oh, sure, I'll obey because I'll get these things. And then when it gets hard, or then when I get a better offer, or when whatever happens, I'm not gonna obey anymore. God sends the prophet Haggai to tell these folks, you're doing it, you're doing it right. Keep going, don't quit. I am blessing you from this day on. I'm blessing you, God says. I will keep blessing you if you will keep obeying. Because the Lord's not gonna reward us for doing what is wrong. No one rewards people for doing what is wrong. Keep obeying, God says. Is there anywhere that you're not doing that? Like, like you know, you're just, you're obeying right here. You're going to church, you're reading your Bible, you're volunteering at VBS, whatever it is, you're just doing it to get something out of God. What would it look like to just obey and let God bless you? Because here, I wanna leave you with this last encouragement. There's one place in the Bible where Haggai's story isn't true. Where the defiled meets the not defiled and the not defiled wins, and that's Jesus. There are these stories where lepers who are unclean, 
Their disease makes them defiled. They come to Jesus and they say, if you are willing, you can heal me. And Jesus says, I'm willing. And he touches them. Now, he doesn't need to do that. I mean, there's all sorts of stories in the Bible. Jesus could just say, you're healed and you're healed. We have stories where he says somebody's healed and the guy's like a two-day walk away. And the, 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 it's a dad asking about his son. And Jesus says, your son is healed, go home. It takes the guy two days to get home. When he gets home, they're like, oh, your son's fine. He's like, when did it happen? They're like, oh, 11 a.m. two days ago, which was the exact moment Jesus said to him, your son's healed, go home. He doesn't need to touch the guy to heal him, but he does. When he touches him by Haggai's parable, by Jewish law, he becomes unclean because the unclean overwhelms the clean. But when Jesus touches that leper, the leper becomes clean. His leprosy leaves him. Jesus' health overwhelms his sickness. Jesus' cleanness overwhelms his uncleanness. The one guy anywhere in the scriptures where the holy and the unholy come in contact, and oh, it's the holy that wins is Jesus. Like, if you're doing this, if either of those questions resonated with you, you're like, yeah, I, I, I am letting what is bad crowd out what is good in my life here. I have let the mundane push out what I should be doing. Yeah, I am treating God like a transaction. I am partially obeying for what I can get, and then I don't care anymore. The answer to that is Jesus. The person who can fix that is Jesus. Now, absolutely, if you are doing those things, stop. If you're treating God that way, stop treating him that way. If you're letting the mundane push out the good, stop that. But ultimately, the answer is Jesus. Because when Jesus gets involved, then his holiness overwhelms everything else. His goodness pushes out everything that is bad. His light shines everywhere in the darkness. When he gets involved, then he always wins. His goodness always wins. Moses asks God, let me see your glory. And God says, that's a really bad idea. You die. Ah, oh, you know what? I'll make you a deal. I'll put you on the other side of a mountain. And then you'll be okay. The mountain will protect you. And the scripture says God made all of his goodness pass by. That's God's glory, his goodness. When Jesus gets involved, his goodness overwhelms everything. It overwhelms leprosy. It overwhelms unclean. The answer ultimately to all of this is Jesus. So I'm going to pray I'm going to ask Jesus to get involved with us. If there's anywhere those questions, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm doing that. that that's, that's true of me. Then take it to him. Right? Don't just decide you're going to change. Definitely do decide you're going to change. But don't only decide you're going to change because you'll end up in the gym membership problem. You'll change for a little while, and then the mundane will push it out. You need to bring that to Jesus. You need to confess it. Remember, confess means say the same thing as. He already knows it. You're not telling him anything new. You need to tell to him, yep, I agree with you. I'm doing this. And I don't want to. Tell him that you want his goodness, his holiness, his cleanness. You want that to push these other things out rather than them pushing the good out of you.
So let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you. I really appreciate that, that you sent a prophet back to these guys to encourage them so that you could keep blessing them. You sent a prophet to remind them, hey, think about what, when you were disobeying, was I blessing you? No, now, today, you're obeying and I'm blessing you. Let's keep that going. I so appreciate that, that, that you took the initiative when they were upset uh, that, that this didn't seem like much. You came to them to encourage them. When, when I think they're getting ready to quit, you come to them and encourage them. Thank you. We're so grateful, Lord. That, that you are kind to us like that, that, that you are involved. And so, Jesus, I, I pray for all of us here. I pray for everybody listening to me. I pray that you would get involved with us because we need your goodness to overwhelm all these things. We need your goodness to push out all of these other things in our lives. We need your power to be at work in us so that we can say no to disobedience and yes to obedience, and to say that every day, because we know it is not one and done. It is a decision we make over and over again, day by day. Every day, these guys have to get up and decide that today, I'm going to stack the bricks, and today, I'm going to cut the wood. Today, we're going to keep building the temple, and they had to decide that for four years. Uh, Jesus, we need your power, your goodness working in us so that we can say yes to obedience, that we can push out all of the mundane things that try and overwhelm us, that we can push out all the bad things that try and harm us. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would draw near to us today, that, that, that your goodness would be evident in our lives today, that we would obey today. Heck, I pray we obey tomorrow and the next day as well. But today, Lord, you said that tomorrow had its own problems to worry about. We pray for your goodness in our life today, that today we will obey, so today you can bless us. And Jesus, wow, we don't pray that because we're good, and we don't pray that because we think we're strong enough to pull it off. We know we're not. We pray that because you're good, and you're strong enough to pull it off. And so we pray for you to draw near to us so that we can obey and you can bless us. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.